Well, it's so good to see you. The snow continues, and you made it. If you're joining us online, uh, thanks for joining us. It's great to um, see you as well. And uh, we'd love to connect with you, and so there is a connection card in the seat back in front of you, wrapped around that $100 bill. That's right there. Some of you were reaching out immediately then. I'm kidding. But we'd love to connect with you, and you connect, can connect with us through our app and online and using the QR code. I think the code is going to come up. There it is, timberlinechurch.org forward slash connect. We would love to connect with you. And uh, the lovely folks in our cafe have asked me just to mention that these uh, Life with Lucas, these daily Bible reading notes, we have 11 copies left, and that is it. And they're only $500 each, so uh, no, they're, they're out there. I just need to mention, too, that with the weather last night, um, uh, Richard and our amazing, some of our amazing facilities guys, uh, they were here at 5 a.m. this morning clearing the pathways for us. So thank you. Thank you. We so appreciate it. Well, last weekend actually was the presidentially determined sanctity of human life weekend. And the Alpha Center here in Fort Collins um, lovingly and caringly uh, reaches out to offer care and also alternatives to abortion. They're doing an amazing job. I had the opportunity to visit with them this week. And this is Jen McLean. Could you welcome her, please? Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for hosting me. I great always to look have forward you. to being back at my home church. What a great way to end uh, this month. Uh, but I do get a little nervous, even though you all are so kind when you see me out there in the mall later. You feel, feel nervous. I feel nervous. So can we take a selfie and helps me? A selfie. I feel like it's more normal. Me, people don't so, normally take photographs of me to calm themselves. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but if you uh, all will lean in. Yeah, lean in. And, you know, Could you s today. everyone smile? Yeah. Smile. Okay. Smile. I beg it's you. Okay. <laughs> smile. Right. Okay. Here all right, we go. Ready? Great. There was someone back there. You weren't smiling. <laughs> I, yeah. I swear. And, a, and a blinker. At least one. At least yeah. one blinker. Welcome. Yes, thank Tell you us about us. the Alpha Center, the, the yeah, vision, the mission. Yeah. Well, we're so grateful for the partnership uh, with Timberline, uh, first and foremost, so thank you for that. And really, uh, it's a, exciting to get to tell about the center. Maybe you've never learned about Alpha Center before, but we are a Christian medical clinic here in Fort Collins that provides uh, services and education to our community related to sexual health at no cost. Our life-affirming medical services include pregnancy testing, limited ultrasound, and then also STD screening, which we market as pre-abortion screening, really wanting to reach the abortion-minded woman. And then we also offer STD screening on its own, um, and we have professional counseling for mental health needs, uh, both for our community and for our patients. And we'll provide up to six sessions of mental health counseling, again, at no cost. And then we also offer a holistic set of wraparound services uh, once a patient has, has made a life decision, which is our hope. And those include our parenting success program, uh, which includes one-on-one -on -one mentoring, as well as um, kind of group classes for single parents, maybe unmarried, unmarried parenting um, folks, and then married folks who are expecting a baby. 
We also have a labor and delivery class, and we also offer um, a group that's a one-on-one -on -one situation for women who have experienced miscarriage, um, stillbirth, or early infant loss. And then we have our AWAKE group, which is our um, after-abortion emotional and spiritual recovery and a support um, group. And we're so thankful to come alongside people no matter their circumstance. So tell us about the person who typically comes to, to the Alpha Center for help. Yeah, I think it's such a great question. Um, and, and I know when I first started at the center, I sort of had a perception in my mind of, of who, who a patient might be. And as I kind of quickly came to discover, they look a lot like us. Um, the, the women and men that we serve in our community are individuals who have identified that they need some support and care related to their sexual health decisions, potentially related to an unexpected pregnancy. Uh, we're committed to providing life-affirming, excellent, dignified, holistic, compassionate, and medically relevant um, care to each of these individuals, again, no matter what brings them to our door. They have so much courage uh, to make a phone call, to reach out, to ask for an appointment. And I think about the places when I have stress in my life, I'm not great at asking for help in those moments. I'm not great at asking for help in general, but specifically in those moments. And so I really appreciate the courage, again, that they have to say, will you come alongside and help, help me in this moment? And I love that it gets to be a display of God's love towards them, again, no matter their, their circumstance. This is not just an issue, is it? Issues cause a lot of shouting and ranting, but this is about people. Tell us a story. Yeah, yeah. Um, so true to make it a relevant to people, because it is about people. Uh, we had a young woman who came in uh, for a pregnancy, pre-abortion screening appointment, and her pregnancy test was negative, which was kind of a surprise to her and a little bit of a surprise to us. And during her appointment, though, she was able to share and felt safe enough to kind of open up to her nurse and her intake specialist about a difficult relationship with her parents, her own personal faith struggles, and that she was really wanting to find a church and to connect with a church in town. We were able then to offer her additional supports even though she had a negative pregnancy test. So we were able to give her a list of supporting churches, including um, Timberline. We were able to pray for her. She invited that and asked for that from our nurse. And then we were able to refer her to our counselor for some support related to that um, difficult relationship with her parents. And when we, when we followed up about a week later, she shared that she had made an appointment with our counselor. She had gone to a church and was going to try out a couple of others um, and was excited to reconnect with the Lord. And so even though her pregnancy test was negative, the other areas of service that the Alpha Center was able to provide to her really helped bolster her into that re-recognition of the fact that God loves her and that she's not alone and that she's wanted and needed and valued in the kingdom. And I'm so grateful that we do more than just one thing because we were really able to care for her well. So great to have you here and thank you because you're going to be at a table in the mall yes. out there. People yes. got uh, questions um, and would like to visit with you. Let's pray together, please, for Jen, great team at the Alpha Center. Father, thank you for all that we have heard 
in this life-affirming ministry that reaches out in the grace and the love of Jesus. Would you bless them? Would you provide for them? We thank you for the partnership that we have as Timberline Church. Would you protect them in all that they do? And may they know the joy of seeing smiles where there were tears, clarity where there was confusion, life, health. May it be so. We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we say thank you to Jen? Thank you. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Well, we're continuing our look at the book of Mark, Jesus, Hope, and Healing. And the title for the message this weekend is The Apprentice. The Apprentice. Uh, last weekend. How many people were here last weekend? Raise your hand. Okay, that's good. How many people are here this weekend? Just less than the previous number. Um, we're looking, uh, following on, I should say, from last weekend, we looked at John the Baptist, the beginning of Mark's gospel, and as we're going to see, John is imprisoned, and then Jesus begins his ministry. Mark 1 verse 14, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. A question that I'm often asked, living in America, a nation of uh, sports lovers, not universally, but a lot of people love sport, people often say to me, Jeff, what sport do you love? Well, there's one sport that I'd like to understand, and I've often mentioned it, that's American football. I, I've got Football for Dummies, the book, but I need another book called Football for Really Stupid People, because... I just don't get it. I'd love to know. The sport I would like to try is pickleball. Any pickleball people here? Right, let's visit, okay? I want to I try that, for I feel that I'm going to be athletically proficient in that particular sport. But the sport that has brought me most pain is the sport of soccer. Soccer, the game of the Lord, soccer. You mentioned soccer and pain immediately emerges in me and not because I played it. It was those horrendous times when before the game they were picking the teams. I hated that. Two muscle-bound, athletic, I think the word is jocks. Is that the right word? Stand before us. A kind of scraggly group of rejected humanity. And they look at us as if to say, who are we going to pick? And I'll take him, and I'll take him. I'll, I'll take, we'll take him, we'll take him, we'll take him. And I'm standing there realizing that the numbers are decreasing and no one has picked me. And now, at that point, I wasn't even a Christian, but I try and do a deal with God. I pray, I say, God, 
I will become a missionary to a remote location in the Amazonian jungle and work with a tribe famous for their cannibalistic snacking if he would just pick me. And I was always the last one to be picked, like I'll, I'll take him. In fact, it's happened more recently, about 10, maybe 15 years ago, we had a Timberline staff golf tournament. And when it came to picking the teams, I was picked with Pastor Darry. And I'm like, whoa, because he's irritatingly good at golf. Very frustrating. And I'm like, I'm on Pastor Darry's team. And I said to someone, how come I'm on Pastor Darry's team? And they said, he's really good, so we felt like he needed a handicap. Pick me, please. In this episode, the Jesus team is being formed, and Jesus is acting like a rabbi. What's the word rabbi mean? It's a term of respect for a teacher. These rabbis formed a central role in Hebrew education. And the rabbinic teaching style consisted in not attending lectures or classes or reading texts and simply mastering the material. No, this was different. People traveled, disciples traveled with the rabbi and got to know their way of life. Uh, and the idea was education, life from life, not just gathering facts. Now, let's just have a little quiz here. And I want you to participate, okay? First of all, what's the name of the naval base in Hawaii that was attacked and America came into World War II? That would be, speak it out with confidence, class. That's good. Well done. What's two times two? Good. Some of you were hesitant then, like, this is a trick question. No. What's four times two? A little more hesitation on that one. What's the name of the king of England who had six wives and ate too much chicken fried chicken? Henry X. So you just recited facts back to me. But you see, the rabbi had no interest in you or me just parroting facts. They wanted to know if the student had understood, seen it, wrestled with it. That's why they told parables, not to dumb down the teaching, but rather to prevent the teaching being what they called frontally perceived. They wanted someone to go away and be agitated and wrestle with the ideas. Jesus was a rabbi. Matthew, four times, he's called a rabbi. Mark, four times. In John's gospel, eight times. But he was a rabbi like no other rabbi. You see, most rabbis only taught accepted interpretations of the law, but there were a few that achieved special recognition because they had authority, and they were known as the simikar, and I suggest to you that Jesus was a simikar rabbi. Why? Well, listen to what his listeners said about him. When Jesus had finished these sayings, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. 
And then the Simichar rabbis, they could introduce new interpretations of the law. And so repeatedly in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I tell you, that's a Simichar rabbi speaking. And then a rabbi's unique interpretation of Torah, the law, was known as their yoke. Their yoke, that was their body of teaching. What does Jesus say? Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So here is Jesus acting like a rabbi. And listen to his message, though. His message. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What does that mean? Often we think the kingdom of God, when we see that, we think about heaven, mainly because Matthew, writing to a Jewish audience, used the phrase kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of God is simply a word to describe God's reign and rule on the earth and in people's lives. And so the Jews had a vision of the kingdom of God coming to rule and reign in the whole of the earth. But by the time that Jesus came, that vision had been narrowed and they just thought it was about the kingdom of God coming to Israel. How easily we limit God. Jesus is that king and his message to us is live under my royal reign and kingship. And look at his invitation. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. These guys knew immediately what was going on here. He was calling them to be his mathetes, is the Greek word. Disciples, a better word, is apprentice. And that's his call to every one of us. The word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. The word Christian is found three times. The New Testament was written by disciples, for disciples, about what it means to be a disciple. But what does it mean to be a disciple? It sounds a bit heavy, doesn't it? Disciple. Like, you know, when you're a new convert, in karate terms, when you're a new convert, that's orange belt. And then when you're a Christian, that's brown belt. But when you really, really grow, then... You're a black belt disciple, baby. It all sounds really heavy. What does it mean to be a disciple... This episode can help us. Mark's gospel in its entirety can give us some answers. So let's take a look if you're following in the outline. First of all, the call is a surprise. The call is a surprise. Jesus saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake for they were fishing. And Jesus called them. That's shocking. Rabbis didn't call or invite disciples Potential disciples went to the rabbi and said, can I be part of what you're doing? 
twice in the ministry of Jesus, people approached him to say, can I join? In Mark chapter 5, a guy who'd been demonized, and Jesus delivered him, and he said, can I join? And Jesus says, no, stay here. On another occasion in Matthew 8, a teacher of the law came to Jesus, and he came to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. I want to be your disciple. That's that language. And Jesus laid out the cost of that, and we don't know whether that teacher of the law ever joined the team. But Jesus turned the protocol upside down, and he chose them, and look at who he chose. Rabbis normally only chose the very, very, very best students. In Jesus' day, check this out with me, this was the education system in Jesus' day. At the age of four or five, children would go to what was called Bet Safar, the house of the book. And they would begin their education. At age 10, that would end, and all girls would stop their education right there. Only the best of the boys would continue. They would go from 10 to 12 to Bet Talmud, the house of learning, and get this, they would learn from memory the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. At that age, they could recite it from memory. Then the very best of them, at age 12 to 15, went to Bet Midrash, the house of study. They'd learn about the prophets. They would have a wider education. Everything is getting narrowed. And then at age 15, the cream of the crop, the very brightest students could become Talmud. They could join the Talmudim. They would approach a rabbi and say, can I be your apprentice? And the rabbi would interview them and quiz them about their knowledge of the law and the teachings of various rabbis. And then they would be with that rabbi for three years and then they would graduate, practice a trade, maybe they might become rabbis themselves. What does Jesus do? Commentators agree that most of the disciples didn't get past Bet Sefer, education to the age of 10. And he chose people like tax collectors, Matthew, who would have been considered beyond forgiveness. Jesus deliberately chose the ordinary, the mundane, the unspectacular. The calling was a surprise. These people generally had felt marginalized. In the British education system, we've had something called the 11 plus. The 11 plus is an exam, surprisingly, that you take at age 11. And historically, it was the junction point for the whole of your life. And the idea was you took the 11 plus, and if you, were, if you were bright enough to pass it, you could stay on at school until 18, and you could then go to college. But if you failed the 11 plus, your destiny was set, and you would normally leave school at 16, and you would not be allowed you wouldn't have the opportunity generally to have a profession, you would, you would pursue a trade. And don't get me wrong here, there's nothing wrong with pursuing a trade. 
We don't want any career snobbery here at all. But the reality is that that was a very dividing, dividing thing. And I took the 11 plus. <laughs> and I... Failed. I failed it. And I was destined, my dad was an elevator engineer for the Otis Elevator Company. And so was my brother. And so were my uncles. And I was destined to be an elevator engineer. Thank God that I didn't pursue that, for the entire world would be stuck on the third floor. Nothing wrong with being an elevator engineer, let me make that clear, but I remember that feeling at the age of 11. No, you can't do that. We never ever talked about college in my family. That was not a possibility. I remember that feeling. And Jesus picks these people who probably have been told, this is what you can do and nothing else. And I love it that Mark's gospel is written as a result of Peter telling Mark about his story. And, and Mark's gospel chronicles the failures of Peter like no other. I can imagine Peter saying to Mark, now make sure you get that bit in where I said that really stupid thing that day. It's like Peter wants all of us to know that as a broken person, he was invited, and so are you, and so am I. Interestingly, I just got to tell you that the three qualifications, excuse me, the three expectations for disciples in Jesus' day were hospitality, service, and sitting at the rabbi's feet. And the most perfect picture of discipleship in the Gospels is a woman. Mary, the sister of Martha, I think that's significant, ladies. And by the way, when Jesus was raised from the dead, who did he appear to first? The women. Who preached the gospel first? The women. All the men, all the male disciples were all sitting around going, duh. Jesus invites the unlikely. Secondly, we walk in the dust of his feet. Come, follow me, Jesus said they had a saying that if you're a true disciple you'll be covered in the dust from your rabbi's sandals because you will walk that close and we're called to that Christianity is not a prayer that you pray or a Sunday morning occupation it's about walking close with Jesus it's about imitating him through his power scholars believe that that's why Peter tried to walk on water Anyone here try to walk on water? Just admit it if you've tried it. Just raise your hand if you've tried it. One or two. Yeah, right. We'll start a club. I tried it once. It's at a hotel, an empty swimming pool. I thought, I'm going to try that. I put my swimsuit on because faith without works is dead. <laughs> and I stepped onto the water and I sank. But I'm thinking, that would be kind of fun. Scholars believe that when Peter saw his rabbi walking on water, his natural inclination was to do this in his mind. My rabbi's doing that, so I better try it. The idea is stay close. In fact, I discovered this week 
a historical document about a, a, a disciple, a Jewish disciple of a Jewish rabbi from Jesus' time. His name was Akiva ben Joseph. He was a disciple of Joshua ben Hananiah. And he so wanted to be like his rabbi. This is, forgive me, what I'm about to say, okay? And can I just say this? If you're one of those Christians who likes to get offended when they come to church, please don't miss this moment. Because an opportunity is coming, and I'd, I'd hate you to miss out. He so wanted to be like his rabbi that when his rabbi went somewhere to go to the bathroom, he, he went to watch him to find out how a good rabbi should go to the bathroom. That's a bridge too far. Gentlemen, do not follow me into the bathroom. I will scream. And he discovered three things about how you should go to the bathroom. And I've got them written here, but I'm not going to tell you. Staying close. One of the saddest statements in the Bible is this, towards the end of Mark, Mark's gospel. Peter followed Jesus at a distance. He'd heard the call, follow me. But now, because he's afraid, three years later, he's following at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. It's a simple question. Are we following at a distance? Thirdly, discipleship is for all of life. At once, they left their nets and followed him. I was preaching once in a church in Oregon, and the pastor stood up before I preached, and he gave the announcements, and he said, I know it's not very spiritual, but we've got a golf tournament this week, and I wanted to scream, not because I don't like golf, and I don't. But it was the idea that golf is not spiritual. Like, if you're reading Leviticus, God is thrilled, but if you're playing golf, he's kind of mildly upset. The Hebrew scriptures contain no word for spiritual. Jesus never used the word spiritual life. And for Jesus and all of the biblical writers, the whole of life was seen as spiritual. In the Old Testament, God anointed people for leadership, administration, sailing, the technical know-how of garment making, making artistic designs in gold, silver, and bronze. In other words... God wants us to see the whole of our lives as spiritual. Not just Sunday morning. That's why when the Christian business person says, well, in a heart I'm a Christian, but business is business. We get into trouble when we get chaos in our lives. God wants the whole of our lives to be under his royal reign. And that means, fourthly, that the apprentice offers total obedience and trust. Look at this. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. They obeyed him. That is not a cool idea these days. The idea these days is be the best version of yourself. If it feels good, do it. But that leads to chaos. The Christian writer Fedora Dostoevsky explored these themes in the book Brothers Karamazov. And he said this, having ceased to believe in God, there can be no morality, for without God everything is permitted and all values are meaningless. And we're living in a day increasingly where there's no such thing as truth. 
I told the story before, but she comes to mind, so let me tell you it again. I remember once I was sitting on a plane, flying somewhere, and there's a lady sitting next to me, and I, you know, just said hi, and she said hi, and, and she, we struck up a conversation, and then I, and I, said, I said, what do you do for a living? And she said, I'm a clinical psychotherapist. I'm based in San Francisco. I said, that's nice. I said, what's your area of special interest? She said, well, I like to help Christians to get out of Christianity. I said, oh, okay. She said, what do you do, Jeff? I said, I'm a plumber. You got a sink? I said, well, I, I'm a pastor. I like to help people who are not Christians, to get into Christianity. And she gave me this look, I'll never forget it, like, oh, bless your heart. She said, you don't believe all that Jesus stuff, all that I am the way, the truth, and the life. She said, no one believes that anymore. No one believes in absolute statements. I said, are you sure? You got it. She just made an absolute statement, didn't she? You just won the new car. <laughs> so I thought, I'll test this idea. So I said, well, if you don't believe in absolutes, I am in an airplane, there's an absolute. Maybe we are 36,000 feet up in a boat. And she looked at me and she said, you may be right. <laughs> so I thought, I'll push it a bit further because I'm like that. I said, well, maybe we're not in a boat and we're not in a plane. Maybe we are 36,000 feet up in the air in a piece, a large piece of fruit. And she said, hey, you may be right. I didn't say it would have been rude, but I felt like saying, honey, bless your heart. You need to make an appointment to see yourself quickly. <laughs> see, there is absolute truth but we respond not just to truth, but to love. Look at Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, please, everybody say that word with me. Therefore. Say it again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Please see this principle. God says... Because of his mercy and love, because of that, live like this. This is why I, and I'm going to make a statement that, that might be a little dangerous and edgy here, but okay. That's why personally, personally, I'm not that crazy about having the Ten Commandments at the courthouse. You say, What? Let me tell you why. The Ten Commandments were not just etched on stone. They were set in a story. I've delivered you, says the Lord. I've brought you out of Egypt. I've done this. I love you. I care for you. Therefore, because of that, live like this. But when we just wrench legislation out of the story, all people see is a bunch of thou shalt nots. And they don't understand the story of the love of God. If you followed the rabbi, you trusted him, you obeyed him. I just need to pause and say to you, 
those who right now are trusting God and you're hanging on by your fingernails and two and two makes five. And Can I just pause and say thank you? Thank you for trusting him. Thank you for obeying him, tough as it is. Number five, apprentices are called into community. They were called together. This is the importance of church. Anybody here climbed a 14er? Climbed a 14er? Yeah. I have an aspiration. I've got a book about it. Jerry Kukuczka, Polish mountaineer, he died on a mountain in Nepal in 1989. He said, it's better to be in the mountains thinking of God than in church thinking of the mountains. There's a Colorado statement for you, eh? But I want us to know this. It was unthinkable for a disciple to think that they could learn alone. They were called to community, to debate, to discussion, to failure. Teaching was oral. They didn't just read books. In the early church, the epistles were read to groups of individuals. Individualized learning is a relatively new idea. The printing press was invented in 1439. That was wonderful. But suddenly, instead of learning in groups, people huddled by themselves. And the reality is, we are called to be together. Hebrews says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And I want to just say this, the strongest churches are multi-generational churches. Thank God for young people. Thank God for old people. Thank God for everything in between. You ever hung out with any of our prime timers? They're the craziest group in the church. I love hanging out with the prime timers. They laugh, they cry, they're cheeky. They've weathered the storms. They have so much wisdom to download. And I'm talking about them like I'm not one of them. I'm old enough to be a prime timer myself. We can do so much more together. The Alpha Center, partnership. Did you know that abortion was illegal during a certain part of history in the Roman Empire? With such brutality and gladiators and coliseum, abortion was illegal. And if you help someone have an abortion, normally by drinking poison, you could be exiled for life. But the church's response to that was to offer refuges for pregnant women, offer them an alternative to abortion. They ran orphanages. Many of the great Christian leaders of the early church were orphans because they'd been cared for. And if an abortion had taken place, the church was there to help women that involved housing and medical care as it was back then and spiritual support. We can do so much more together. Well, the last thing is this. As our worship team, as our worship team come, Can we thank our worship team? By the way, I've got to tell you, that was a bit of a setup. We did that deliberately just for a bit of fun right there. And they knew that was going to happen. So thanks for 
playing along. But the reality is this, as they just quietly play for us, disciples make disciples. Disciples make disciples. That's point number six in the outline. See, when the, when the rabbi had spent three years and believed that the Talmudim were ready, they would be commissioned. What do we read in Matthew 28? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Disciples make disciples. Here's the news, everybody. Jesus wants us to be people who are ready to share our faith with others and ready to help them in their faith. As I conclude this message, when it comes to like stories of personal evangelism and sharing Jesus, preachers normally tell you their success stories. So I thought I'd tell you about one of mine, I've got many, where I messed it up. And it was only two days ago, so it's recent failure. Hooray. Kay and I were out shopping. It doesn't matter which store we were in, and it would be unfair to Sprouts to mention it, but we were in, we were picking up a couple of pieces, I think it was a couple of pieces of salmon. Salmon salad, eat healthy. But that's not important right now. And there was a long line for the checkout. Long, long line. And there was a lady in front of us, and I, I don't know, I just said something like, hey, how are you? And I said something about the weather, actually, because that's God invented the weather to give British people something to talk about. And we started visiting, and she kind of had a loud, quite a loud voice. So we're visiting, and she says, um, she starts to tell us about her life and about her daughter who doesn't like school and smokes dope and and, and then about her ex, and she said, she said, I, I don't want a man anymore. All, the, all they want is sex. That's all they want. And she's talking quite aloud, and we've got a bunch of people behind us. And, and I'm like, okay. And she said, that, and then, I mean, she must have been in her 50s, and she looked at me, and she said, they don't, like, they don't make men like my dad's generation, like you. Oh, oh, me, right. Thank you very much. Bless your heart, yes. And she told us about some of her hopes and dreams. And she didn't know us from a bar of soap. She wasn't talking to a pastor from Timberline. She's talking to a couple of people in the line behind her. And I'm really wanting to say to her, ma'am, you know, can I just let you know that Jesus really likes you and loves you, and, and, and he'd love you to know him, and and I'm a pastor at Timberline. Why don't you come along and see us and we'll have some coffee? And, and I didn't. And she paid for her stuff. And she lingered a little while. And, and I still didn't. And then she said, well, great to meet you guys. Bye. And she went out in the parking lot. And this is where I tell you that she suddenly came back and, and said, by the way, what must I do to be saved? But she didn't. There's no happy ending to the story. And I'm standing there, and I looked at Kay, and she looked at me, and we, we both like. Because I think we had a connection there that God wanted us just to share the love of Jesus with that lady. And I messed it up. Why do I tell you? Because fellow broken, busted, mess it up disciples, I invite all of us 
to keep going and keep him close and each other as well. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your kindness in our lives. Thank you for the fact that you call the unlikely. Thank you that we can be included. We'd like to know what it means more deeply to be your disciple. Help us to stay close. Help us to not count ourselves out. For any who need to begin that faith journey today, may they hear the call, follow me. May they respond to it. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me if you're able? And before we close our service, just a, one or two comments to let you know it before you go. Let's, uh, let's worship the Lord together. applaud him together, this risen Lord Jesus. So good to have everybody here. 
If you're beginning a faith journey, we want to help you with that. If you'd like to become a follower of Jesus, our prayer team will be at the front here. If there is any issue that's been raised by the message today or just by being here, they'd love to pray with you. Also, thank you, Timberline family, for your faithfulness in giving. That enables us to do what we do, including our partnership with the Alpha Center. And a quick reminder, you can give through the, the text method or online um, at timberlinechurch.org on the app. And also there are uh, collection offering containers at the back of the room. If you want to get ready for next week's message, read Mark chapter 1, verse 21 onwards. Just a few verses there that will help you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before you go, just turn to someone and say, Spring cometh. Amen. Amen. Oh, yeah. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.